All right, so uh, like I said, we're, we're continuing our Frequently Asked Questions series where you guys have been submitting uh, questions about the Bible, about God, life, faith, you know, how any of that intersects. And last week we talked about heaven, um, questions about heaven. And um, today's group of questions isn't particularly related as closely as last week's, but uh, they are all questions about the Christian faith, and so since they're not explicitly related, I'm going to have to move through them each separately, so today I'm going to be moving kind of fast. If you're a note taker, uh, you can always take notes um, at cfisforlovers.info, okay, there's a sermon a notes tab there, you can do it, you just need to make sure to, uh, to insert your email uh, in that, and it emails it to you. Um, so... Here we go. We're going to uh, jump right into some of these questions because there's a lot of ground to cover, and we're not, I'm not going to do any of these complete justice, but if you ask some of these questions, or maybe you're thinking some of these questions, uh, I'll be able to help you out a little bit and, and maybe give you some further resources. So the first question is this. What are your most important or favorite talking points when discussing Christianity with nonbelievers? All right. And specifically, I'm currently having discussions with an atheist and it seems like the conversation could go in so many different directions that it's overwhelming. So, first of all, that's a great question. Um, anyone who is interested in sharing this good news, this hope that we have in Jesus, I mean, I, you know, right? That's awesome. That's incredible. And particularly if you're having uh, discussions with uh, an atheist. Um, <clears throat> so, keep it up, first of all. And, and I think discussion is great. I think that the more dialogue that we can have, with those um, outside of our faith, um, the, the the better it is, and and particularly with someone uh, who claims to be an atheist. So so here's here's where I where, what I believe, and uh, I think that you have to start with where the person is. There's no one size fits all answer, uh, because everyone is going to respond in different ways. And now, when someone doesn't even believe in God, you're not going to start by yelling at them to repent, right? You're not going to tell them you need to, you need to follow God's ways. Well, hold on, I don't even believe in God, right? And so you would certainly approach someone who grew up in church and believes in God. They just kind of rebelled against them and um, are, are resisting him. You would treat that person differently than you would someone who says, you know what, I, I don't even believe God exists. And so for the first part of dialogue is, is we need to prayerfully discover where people are uh, uh, in relationship to, like, with, with God, God's existence, who he is. Is he a personal God? Is he the God of the Bible? And then uh, moving on towards Jesus and, and then where their life is with him. So Paul gives us a cool example um, of, some, of talking with people um, who are very, very far from God. Like it, Paul, I, who was the great missionary, the great church planner, he, he wrote much of our New Testament and, um, uh, through the form of letters, okay, to churches. But the cool thing is, when, whenever Paul would go to a different town, where would he start out at? Where would he start preaching? The synagogues, right? So he was a Jew, Jew and he was going, and he, was, he would uh, go meet, and he would go uh, preach first to the Jews, because those were his people. They understood his language. He, he, he had a, a credibility with them. But a lot of times you see Paul mo then moving to people who outside of that sphere. And here we see one in Acts chapter 17. I'm not going to read it, but it's Acts 17, 16 through 34. Paul is in Athens, a very pagan city. Of course, he started with the synagogue with his Jews. And then uh, uh, the philosophers, right? This was a very philosophical town. And uh, the, the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, they came across Paul and heard some of the things he was teaching. 
And so they wanted to hear them more. So they're like, hey, you come to our little philosophy group, okay? And I want you to present your ideas to us. And, and, and Paul spoke to them very differently than what he would have spoke to his Jews, to, to, to his Jewish people. And so that's a lesson for us that, that there's no one size fits all. There's no, there's no blanket thing that you can say that's just going to, uh, I think, work for everyone. So, so for your friend, whoever, uh, whoever you are, atheism isn't unbelief, okay? Atheism isn't unbelief. It is a belief. It is a belief that there is no God. So they're still very much believing in something. You get that? They're believing that there is no God. So the few atheists I've taught over the past few years, um, I always try to clarify. So you, so you believe, you believe that there is no God. And on several, uh, on several of those occasions when you press people with that, they actually say, well, maybe, but. And so, well, you're not an atheist then. And they're, you're, they're like, you're right, I'm an agnostic. So a lot of times people like the word atheist because it sounds real cool, but agnostics really, they're like, we don't know. Agnostics believe, uh, uh, or they, they actually, agnostics don't believe. They, they don't know. They say we don't know, we can't know uh, whether there's a God or what he's like or any of that. So, so press people, and, and regardless of what they believe, whether there is no God or they don't think that we can know if there's a God, uh, I think you need to dig down and try to find uh, why people believe what they believe. And then that's, that's where you start. Yeah, so many directions you can go when trying to talk to someone about Jesus. And so many rabbit trails, particularly when you're talking to someone who has no belief in God. And, and so I want to give you a couple uh, ideas um, to try to find the root, of, the root of their belief or their disbelief. Uh, you need to find the root cause. And your job as a believer is not to necessarily win them to Christ. Your job is to pull out barriers, is to remove barriers that are in the way. And as, as Paul says, you know, uh, some people planted the seeds of the gospel. Some people watered it. But God, God's the one that causes it to grow. So when we remove barriers to people, uh, uh, that be, people have to faith in Jesus, then we're planting seeds. We're, we're watering the soil, but at the end of the day, God's the only one that can cause it to grow. So, what are, what are, you know, what are some of the barriers? Maybe for some people it's academic, you know, like they're, they're heady and they need answers to everything, and, and there's, there's just at some point where their faith has to step in and they can't do it, and so they reject, they reject everything. Uh, maybe there's some people, uh, so, so you need to dig in, how do I eliminate those barriers? Uh, maybe someone's an atheist because they grew up in church, and well, they had uh, incredibly painful experiences within that context. They became bitter, so they reject it all. Uh, maybe um, it's someone who has a hard time uh, connecting faith with science, and they, they, they see them at odds as each other. And so, so you need to s uh, figure out how to eliminate some of those barriers. The, the, the reasons why someone could uh, be atheist are endless, but to answer your question more specifically, the atheists I talked to, you know, um, have, have for the most part been moral people, you know. I don't believe in God, but what do they say? I'm a good, I'm a good person, right? 
And so, and, and for the most part, generally speaking, that's probably pretty true uh, with, with, with my friends I've talked with, and, and uh, they're, they're, they're pretty good people for the most part. And, and so, um, usually at that point, I usually start with, well, why do you think you're good? Where do you get that from? Right? I mean, how do you know what's good or bad or what's right or wrong? This whole concept of morality makes no sense if there is no God. And if, if morality exists, that, that things are right and wrong, then someone, someone has, uh, there has to be this moral law giver. Um, and then press them a little further, you know, life without God, uh, you know, there, if you're a good person, why? There's no meaning. There's ultimately no purpose to this life if there is no giver or purpose giver to life itself. I mean, we're here, you think about it, we're here for a few short years and uh, with all the beauty and all the pain that it brings and, and then one day gone, right? And that's it. It's game over. What's the point? No purpose, no point. Um, and so those are some angles that maybe I would uh, address with, with atheists. But I want to challenge everybody with this. All right, 1 Peter 3.15. It says this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord Always be prepared to give a what? An answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now that word answer, okay, the New Testament was written in Greek, that word answer is apologia, okay? And it's where we get the word apology from, and the, wor the word apologetic is, is, is like this formal defense, okay? It and back then, it was a legal term. Someone was going to go to court. Man, you had to have this, uh, you had to have someone who can give this uh, apologia, this defense on your behalf. Well, that's the same way it is with our Christian faith that we're, that we're, that we're told by Peter is that you need to always uh, put Jesus as first and be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks you of why you believe what you believe, why you live the way you live, what, why do you do the things you do, but do it out of love, right? And so that's where this whole field of study is called apologetics for our purposes, Christian apologetics. Is there's so many people out there who are way smarter than, than, than me, right? And there are theologians and philosophers and scientists of all different stripes. And uh, there, there's uh, doctors, uh, medical doctors, historians, mathematicians, all these people who, uh, who in their field of study uh, ha have find clues and find uh, evidences that God is and that Jesus is who he said he is. So, so I, I will say this, always be prepared church if you're a believer. And a couple suggestions, okay, and then um, we're going we got to move off of this question, but the first thing is this, lead with love. Whenever you're trying to point someone towards Jesus, whether that's removing a, a simple barrier, okay, maybe it's a misunderstanding that an atheist has about the Christi Christianity, all right, you have to lead with love, or maybe it's it's calling someone to repentance and to trust in Jesus, and they, they kind of believe in Him, but they just uh, are really resisting it because they like the way that they live. All right, so we so you lead with love. If being right ever becomes your main objective in a discussion, then you're missing the point. But genuine love for the person, they are always more important than being right. Uh, and people are always more important than coming, uh, being right. They're, they're always more important than coming across smart. And they're always, people are always more important than winning an argument. All right, so first, lead with love. Second is this, pray. 
pray for them. If you're having a discussion with someone, an ongoing discussion in particular, man, if, if you're not praying for them, I don't, I don't think you're opening up the, the, the Spirit's power in their life, even though they don't even know it, or, and certainly not in your life the way that, uh, um, that Jesus says he's at our disposal, right? That, that he wants the Spirit to work through us. So pray for them. Um, third, third suggestion is this. Read. Read. I know, you know, the stats on a lot of people, how many people don't read a single book after high school or college is, is, is high. I get it. But, but read. There's so many cool books. And I'm going to um, mention a couple of resources that I think are super valuable. And if you don't write this down, you can just email me. I'll send you a list. But um, Letters from a Skeptic, okay, by this guy named Greg Boyd. He's a theologian, a philosopher. His dad was an atheist. And this book is a series of letters back and forth, father, son, father, son, and one by one, he's removing barrier by barrier after barrier, and eventually, uh, and this takes place over years, okay, um, but it's dozens of these letters, and uh, eventually, he actually goes from atheist to um, accepting Jesus. Um, Tim Keller has a cool book, uh, The Reason for God, that's, that's super helpful. Um, anything by William Lane Craig, okay, he's a philosopher guy, and uh, um, he has this ministry called Reasonable Faith, and th so there's tons there, particularly on the existence of God, and then another guy by the name of Ravi Zacharias, um, he's a rock star in the world of apologetics, but check out, uh, check out those guys, I'll send you some more resources if you want them, and another, th another suggestion is when you're talking with someone about faith, in particular if they, um, if they're like an atheist, is I try to be a resource provider, okay? As I'm coming across videos or articles or books, um, I just send these guys a message and say, hey, check this out. Let me know what you think. And uh, sometimes uh, they'll, they'll watch it and they'll be like, man, good points. I never thought about that. Or they'll come back and, and argue. And, but it cr keeps that dialogue going. And it's also saying, look, I don't have all the answers, but there are answers out there. There are answers out there. So there, that's, uh, that's what I have for those questions. Incredible um, if, you're, if you're having discussions with people um, who, who don't even believe in God. Good for you. All right, here's another one. All right, another question about the Christian faith in general. But it says, when it comes to the Bible, okay, this book that we hold so sacred, why were some of the some books included while other books are excluded? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? You know, um, or have you just accepted this Bible in your hand that you have, you know, the, or whether it's on your phone or whatever, um, as God's word? Have you just always accepted it as God's word? Now, the truth is the Bible isn't a book. How many books is it? 66 books, and it, it's divided in two parts, the Old Testament, which has 39 books, so what does that leave for the New Testament? 27, all right, and it makes up the New Testament, and this is known as the canon, okay, not like, not like canon, right, but <laughs> bad, <laughs> bad representation, but, um, you know, <laughs> Not like canon, but, you know, uh, one N, C-A-N-O-N, canon. That is this list of books that are accepted as authoritative, okay, for, for the rule of faith. And so we had this word canonical books and then non-canonical books, the books that, that didn't make it into the Bible. Now, some of you guys have a Roman Catholic background, okay? So you grew up, and your Bible looks a little bit different than ours, right? 
There's a few extra, there's a few extra books, right? There's a few extra books, per, uh, I believe, just in your Old Testament, right? And, and then you get to the Eastern Orthodox Church, there's a couple more uh, even added to that. And so um, the canon was determined uh, long ago by church leaders through prayer and through community, and, and, and they had a couple guidelines. I just want to share these guidelines real quick so uh, whoever asked these questions can have just a little bit of trust. Uh, the one guideline was this, was it written by an apostle, okay, or a prophet? And or was it written uh, by someone who was connected with an apostle? Okay, so was it given continuing the apostolic message? And so this is why there's no documents in our New Testament, for example, that are outside of the first century, because that was when uh, the apostles who who followed and lived with Jesus and followed him and uh, were led by the spirit after he left. They were no longer around after the first century. Okay. So was it written by an apostle or someone connected with an apostle? The second thing is this. Did it agree with the canon of truth? Okay, the, that is this, this, uh, this message that was passed down from Jesus. Like from the very beginning when the Gospels were written about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were always accepted. Okay, did, did, it, did, it, um, was it, did it agree with all the things that Jesus has said and taught and that was passed down? The third one is this. Were these books, were they universally accepted, or was it just a couple ragtag people in the French who were pushing for them? And, and, um, and the answer is, well, yeah, these are things that the church, at that point, the church was kind of, there was like the Eastern Empire, the Western Empire, and, and so uh, all the segments, the major bodies of, this, of the, the church that was spreading out through the Roman Empire, they kind of agreed on these books that make up our canon, what we know as the Bible. And then the fourth one is, does it have a self-authenticating divine nature? And so what that means is this. The books that make up our Bible weren't chosen to make up our Bible as much as they were recognized. They weren't chosen. People were like, I like this one, I like this one, I like this one. And so we're going to just pick and make it up what, what, as we see fit. No, they're more recognized as having divine authority. They're more recognized for what they were. And that's why there's so many other books that didn't make it, because they didn't meet these criteria of apostleship or, 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 or fitting along with the, the known message uh, that was passed down. Or uh, they didn't have this nature about them. And there are all kinds of other ancient books, you know, written under false names you know the gospel of peter for example well we know peter and we like the word gospel right but that wasn't written by P the our dude peter someone else wrote it they wrote it they they attached peter's name to it in the second or third century and knowing that if, if they did that the people would read it and and so that is not making it into the canon right um so there's all kinds of books like that or, or books that contradict uh what was given by jesus and so we can feel confident um, that we have, what we have in our scriptures is what God wants us to have, okay? Now, this, people write books on this stuff, and uh, that's all we're going to go on now. But if you have more questions about this, shoot me an email. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some more resources towards that. Third question today, and our final, might be one of the biggest questions we could ever ask. So I'm going to fit it in at the end of the sermon, okay? But... It goes like this, why does God allow his children with good hearts to suffer through so much pain? Is that something you've ever thought? Probably, right? 
In fact, a good number of atheists are probably atheists because of this question. Why does God, and you can simplify the question even more, why does God allow bad things to happen? All right? And now pain is like one of those things that, that has made people um, leave faith or has kept people from faith or has made people uneasy at times about their faith. And I certainly have been there before where um, it's hard sometimes to justify some of the things you see happening. Especially when you're the one that's hurting, it's personal. And while there are no simple answers, what I want to do is I want to real quick kind of shoot through five um, biblical um, truths that I think help provide more of a framework. And though we may not have all of the answers to all the questions we like, I think if we can build this biblical framework, that'll help us make more sense of it. So we're going to go through these quick. If you're taking notes, here we go. Uh, the first one is this. God's chief purpose for our life is not happiness. Now, sometimes that, that's the big bomb that people don't want to hear, right? What? God doesn't care about my happiness. No, I didn't say that. See, God's main purpose for your life isn't your happiness. Like, that's not ground zero for him. He didn't just create you to be happy. No, he created us for so much more, and, 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 and it's... It, it's um, it's not God's top priority. God's top priority is that we, we glorify Him, that we know Him, that we love Him, that we, that we find Him through Jesus. And it's about God's glory. It's not about our pleasure. Now, when we live according to God's ways, I think that's the best way that we can find happiness. That's the byproduct for living for Him. And many of you can testify to that, right? When we walk with God, things make more sense. Happiness ensues. There's peace, there's joy, there's love, there's grace. But we still, we still, even when we follow God, there's still pain in our lives. There's still pain in this world. But consider this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so, yeah, in your pleasures, you know, God's there, you know, we see his goodness. We know him in our conscience. He's still there speaking. But but there's something about pain that can shake people and wake people up to who God is. And, and the first thing that I think we need to know and understand that God's main purpose for your life is not just your happiness. This isn't saying that God causes our pain so much so as that, that God uses our pain. So a child falls and gets hurt, you know, what does he do? He runs to mom. And does, does a mom, any mom long for their child to get hurt? No. But she cherishes the opportunity to care for her child, to hold them, to snuggle them, to bandage them up, whatever that means. And so for a lot of people in pain, you know, God, God's been speaking to them. God has our attention. So that's the first thing is um, God's chief purpose for our life isn't about happiness. The second thing is this. Humanity is in a state of rebellion against God. And we know that, right, from the Bible. Uh, but you think of things like pain and suffering and death and sickness and broken, brokenness, all these things that, that, we, uh, that, that we're hurt by are all byproducts of us rebelling and rejecting God. God, that's sin. It's all byproduct of sin. 
Remember, uh, we talked last week, God created things, he made them good, right? And, and certainly things were good, there, um, and, and sin entered the world, and things got thrown off kilter. Uh, Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. So here we are, we're in this broken state with sin, perfect peace is gone, now we have suffering, and now we have death, and it wasn't in God's game plan, but, but God gave us free will, free will to choose God, and free will to reject God. Romans 8.22 says, we know that this whole creation, like the, the universe, the physical universe itself, had, the, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And so we see we groan inwardly too, right? So humanity is in this state of rebellion against God. Sin has broken the peace with God. It's knocked us off kilter. Pain and suffering are all too much of a reality for us that were never part of God's plan. Again, that's another piece of our framework as we look at this idea of pain and suffering. The third thing is this. God has a different vantage point. I love watching, um, I have some friends who fly drones, and, uh, or I love watching videos online and, uh, of, of drone footage, and particularly, like, it's something unique about over, like, Portsmouth or somewhere that you're familiar with, and you can see areas that you know you're very familiar with from a whole new perspective, right? And so that, that's how it is with God is like, we're not God and we have to know that and we have to be okay with like, there's going to be things that we don't know and that we don't have answers to. Isaiah 58, 55 verses 8 and 9 says, for my thoughts, God says, are, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's saying, look, look, I'm not just like a little bit higher than you. Like, I'm incredibly, enormously higher than you. My ways are higher than your ways. It's like an ant, you know. It's like an ant trying to compare himself to you, right? And God's saying, no, my ways are are higher, as high as the heavens are from the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's pretty arrogant for us to think we should fully understand God. Speaking of the atheists, I had one atheist friend who, who this was, I think, his big hang-up. He, he was a, a, a genius, you know, like literally, and he couldn't understand everything about God. And so I just questioned him. I said, now, if, what if you could understand everything about God? How, how great of a God would he be? It made him at least pause and think, say, huh, <laughs> that's all I got out of him. But, but um You know, if we understood God, what kind of God would it be? So we have to just be honest as part, if we build this framework around pain and suffering, is like, we don't know it all. We don't see it all, and we just have to trust, and we trust that because God has a different vantage point. Um, so the fourth one is this. Our fourth framework that I um, would build is this. For us, there, there is more. There is more. Like, 
if you're going through pain, you're going through suffering, as a believer in Christ, you can, you can hold on to the hope that there is more, that this isn't all there is. There's not, this isn't my only existence is pain and suffering. If you're, if you're uh, starving uh, and you um, live in a third world country, you know, or if you uh, lost uh, someone to a disease or, or someone was um, uh, killed in, in, in a murder or an accident, like we can still cling on that there is more. If, like, if this is all we knew was pain and suffering, man, then we would be uh, pitied, right? There would be no reason for this life. It would all be meaningless. Pain, suffering, joy, happiness, nothing, nothing would ever matter. But even while suffering unjustly, Christians throughout history have been able to go on because of their hope in the future. Romans 8, 18, um, Paul says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, and Paul knew suffering, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so, as Christians, we have hope that our pain is just for a little while. And that's what heaven is. That's what we talked about last week. You know? And that, not that we want things to be bad here, but we have this hope and promise that there's something more, there's something greater than any pain that you'll experience on this side of heaven. And then the fifth thing and final thing is this, as we look at um, building a structure to view pain through, is you are not alone. You're not alone. Now, this is what separates the Christian faith from really any other faith all the other religions, you know, like where God sits high and uh, uh, um, off in a distant place, like the Christian story is that, that God enters our story through Jesus. You know, he comes a baby, he lives like us, he, he, is, he's, um, he, he, he grows, he's, he's tempted, he's, he gets hungry, he, gets, he has friends, he gets abandoned, he gets, well, he gets crucified, executed. Like Jesus came into our story, he entered into our pain and our suffering, he joined us, and now he didn't come in a golden chariot, he didn't come riding on a horse, he didn't come with, a priv with privilege, he didn't come in the upper class, he came and he experienced pain. He experienced family drama, he experienced the death of family and friends, and, and the scripture says Jesus wept. He knew what it was like to be an outcast, and yet Jesus with, was without sin because he was on this mission to seek and save that which was lost. And on the cross, Jesus knew the utmost pain physically, emotionally, spiritually, where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he took on the sin and shame of the whole world. That's pain and suffering. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, referring to Jesus, who knew no sin, He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So the Bible is unique. Like Jesus, the Jesus story is unique. We uh, have a unique perspective on pain because our God, He comes and enters the story. He enters our pain and enters our suffering. And He alone brings the solution and offers us hope for something else beyond this pain and this suffering. So we may never be comfortable with any single answer 
why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, or why does God allow pain? But I hope those five things will help give a framework for how a lens through which we can view pain and suffering. And we're going to trust the goodness of God. We're not alone. So I want to encourage you with this as we wrap up today. If you have questions, you know, about the Christian faith, maybe you're here, you've been a believer for decades. Maybe you're here and you, you're not even sure about this Jesus guy yet. Like, like, welcome, right? But I just want to challenge you, whatever questions you have, stop stuffing them down and worry about them later, and never, which means you never worry about them. Seek answers. Questions are okay. Like, when we believe we're on the side of truth, like, truth isn't afraid of, uh, of truth. <laughs> and truth isn't afraid of answers. Questions are okay. Not seeking answers for your questions isn't okay. I believe we have the most unique faith when where God enters our story. You know? He wants us to seek Him with our heart, with our soul, with our strength and with our with our minds. And that's good news that we can share with others. Trust it, seek it, 